Hey, what's up guys, Travis here. And if you've been following me or my story for any length of time, you know that I started a company called Guestio about a year and a half ago now. And one of the things that we are doing this year in 2022 is we're building a concierge program called the Fast Pass that allows you to get booked on top quality shows and platforms for the purpose of spreading awareness for your brand, grabbing attention, uh, growing your credibility, your authority, et cetera, et cetera. And so if you are listening to this right now and you are a seven figure plus entrepreneur and you have a budget to bring in traffic, attention, credibility, authority to your brand, then this might be a really great program for you. Just head over to travischapel.com slash 10K. Why 10K? Because we guarantee in this program that you're going to be able to speak in front of 10,000 people within 90 days. Okay, 10,000 people within 90 days. Imagine getting on a stage in front of 10,000 people to share your message, your story. That's exactly what we are doing inside of this program through virtual stages like podcasts or virtual events or YouTube channels or blogs. You name it, we are working with it, and we are trying to get you booked on those platforms. So travischapel.com slash 10x. There's a quick application there, and then right at the end of that application, it'll prompt you to set up a phone call where you'll jump on a call with me, and we'll talk through whether or not you're a great fit for this program. Please act fast on this. Do not wait because we are only taking on one or two clients a week due to uh, constraints with our team and the limited supply of high quality shows and platforms that are out there in the market. So if that's you and you're really wanting to explode your brand in 2022, head over to travischapel.com slash 10K, fill out the application, schedule a quick phone call, and you and I will chat really soon about whether or not this would be a great fit for you. Thanks, guys. Talk to you soon. Hey, this is Rich Goldstein from Goldstein Patent Law. And if you want to learn how to be unstoppable with your relationships, you should be listening to the Build Your Network podcast with my good friend, Travis Chappell. Welcome to the show. I'm Travis Chappell, and I chat with some of the world's top business influencers, thought leaders, and entrepreneurs in order to crack the code of networking. I believe that who you know is more important than what you know, and that your relationships ultimately determine the person that you become. So if you want to learn the new way of connecting, if you want to fill your network with quality people and skyrocket your results, then you're in the right place because this is the Build Your Network Podcast. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome back to Build Your Network. Today, I'm sitting down with Rich Goldstein. Rich is a patent attorney who founded his law firm, Goldstein Patent Law, as he graduated law school 25 years ago. Since then, he has obtained more than 2,000 patents for his clients. He's passionate about helping people protect their ideas so that they can start and grow their businesses safely. Rich has helped educate thousands of people about patents and trademarks, and he's the author of the American Bar Association's Consumer Guide to Obtaining a Patent. Guys, this is going to be an awesome conversation. If you've had any questions about patents or trademarks or which one comes first, which one you should get, should you get one at all, we're going to cover a lot of those things on this episode today. But first, really quickly, if you are a seven-figure entrepreneur and you know that having a podcast will be beneficial for your business, but you just don't have the time or the team or the resources or any of that kind of stuff to figure out how exactly it works, which by the way, you shouldn't. If you're running a successful business, you shouldn't have to worry about all those back-end details and all that nonsense. Just have somebody like me and my team build something like that for you. Head over to Travis Chapel com slash make my podcast. And there's a quick application there. We'll hop on a phone call to see if we'd be a good fit to build out a show for you. That way you can focus on what you're really good at, which is servicing your clients. And we can focus on what we're good at, which is building world-class podcasts that help build your brand and your credibility and your authority in your industry while helping bring more clients into your business. That's travischapel.com slash make my podcast 
podcast. Rich, what is happening? Thank you so much for joining me on the show today. Yeah, my pleasure. Great to be here. Yes, sir. So let's take it back a little bit, build some context for those who are listening and talk to me about junior high Rich Goldstein. What was life like for you back then? Oh, I was a nerd for sure. Um, <laughs> I mean... Uh, nerd and proud, huh? Yeah, no, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, uh, definitely nerdy into electronics and computers. And mind you, you know, this was around 1980 or the early 80s where people weren't into computers. Right. Kids weren't into computers yet. I mean, home computers were rare. I was kind of so uh, nerdy and technical that at that age, my mom convinced a local college professor to let me audit one of the computer science classes. And so I went and sat in and I wrote computer programs on punch cards. And uh, I don't know if you know what that is, but... Uh, I have not ever done it, but I've had uh, multiple people tell me about what that is. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, I wrote, a, <laughs> wrote programs on punch cards that then would be... Um, read by the the computer there and then providing out but the point is like that was how far back in the day it was and so it was just totally unusual thing for me to be into at that point i mean not like today where kids are into computers like back then was it just like the technology and computers that you're into or was it pretty much all things like academics and schooling and stuff like that No, it was really technology that I was into. I wasn't a great student. (laughs) So, uh, so yeah, I mean, it was really technology, math and science. I always excelled in. Got it. Also very ADD by nature, which made it difficult to study. And so some of the other classes and grades fell by the wayside. But Mm. it went from there to going to a a pre-engineering high school. So I was on a path toward becoming an engineer. Mm. What kind Uh, of an engineer? Well, when I got to college, I was studying electrical engineering. Okay. So um, even with the, the major interest in computers and technology, that still wasn't something that you were planning on doing with the rest of your life ever? Yeah. Well, I mean, at that point, I, I was thinking I was going to be an engineer, an electrical engineer, and I was going to focus on that. And I focused on computers in particular as a subset within electrical engineering. Okay. Got it. Got it. And, and so I was very much on that path. But at the same time, when I got to college, I started a business. Mm. I started a business selling beauty supplies, selling to nail salons and hair salons all of the products that they use. Was this just like for fun or was this like a a project in school? Was this just to make money to pay for school? What was the reason for starting that? Yeah, I mean, it was just I was motivated to make some money and that's what I did. I had friends who were in that business. So when I got to college, I decided to kind of create my own route selling supplies from their business. I just started knocking on doors and selling products. And I, I had a following of, of people that bought products for me every week. Hmm. And um, I worked my way through college doing that. But meanwhile, I'm studying electrical engineering and I realized the reality of being an engineer after I graduated would be that I'd be working on the same project day in, day out for maybe hmm. five years at a time, maybe longer. Yeah. Where you're given, you're not even told to design an aircraft, you're told to design one little piece of that, yeah. like a module that signals the air purifiers when it's time to turn on. Then mm. you work on that for five years. Yeah. So, you know, again, with my ADD nature, I said, I don't think I could really handle that. And mm. one notion was to change my major to business because I was involved in business. I was enjoying business and entrepreneurship. But then another notion came along, which was to become a patent lawyer. And to be a patent lawyer, you need to be an engineer and a lawyer. 
So it gave me the ability to work on new things, to work on technology. And basically, I get to work on different project every day at this point. And yeah. I've been doing that now for you know 26 years. This episode of the show is brought to you by Indeed. We are driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate is not to search at all. It's to match and match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need this platform, guys. I'm telling you, Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work and use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging candidates so you can connect with those people even faster. And it doesn't just help you hire faster. In fact, 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And look, guys, one of the things that I wish I would have used Indeed for is this matching service. You can search and search and search and search and search all day long, but to actually be presented with quality candidates, like 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 hiring a, a recruiter for you that's presenting people that has actually done the work to vet them and uh, bring quality people in front of you, that work by itself is the fact that it's done by a software instead of like a team of high quality recruiters is is pretty insane. So they leverage over 140 million qualifications and preferences every single day, which is why Indeed's matching engine is the best one that you can use. It's constantly learning from your own preferences. So the more you use it, the better it gets at doing the job for you. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility over at indeed.com slash Travis. Just go to indeed.com slash Travis right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed here on the podcast. Indeed.com slash Travis. Terms and conditions apply. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. At what point in your schooling timeline did you figure out that you were going to go down the law school path? And how was that journey for you in terms of making that pivot? Because that's, I mean, it's a pretty large pivot to make at that point, right? Yeah. I mean, um, it was sometime during, during college while I was studying electroengineering, I, you know, I just realized that it was when I started to see the on-campus recruiters for engineering firms. And I began to find out what the reality of getting a job after school or after I graduated would be. Mm. That's kind of when I made that pivot. The way it turned out is, is I, again, I finished electroengineering, went to law school and studied law. And, and basically that journey was interesting because in law school, again, the path towards getting a job, the path of finishing law school and getting hired by a big law firm, which is what all of the law students were looking for, seemed like another type of misery where, hmm. you know, instead of working on the same project day in and day out like an engineer, you get the privilege of working 80 hours a week for some really thankless clients that you never even get to meet. Right. Because they are the, the uh, partner's clients. So I, 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 again, a pivot in a sense in that like I, when I was studying law, I decided not to go for a job. I mm. decided that when I graduated, I wasn't going to go work at a law firm. And instead, I started my own law firm. Right out of the gate. Yeah. Which is unheard of. Like no yeah. one ever does that. 
I mean, typically when someone goes out on their own and creates their own law firm, it's after they've been doing it for a while and they've been working at a firm and, and they've developed some relationships. So they, they leave and they bring some clients with them. Hmm. So they have some revenue or some promise of revenue when they start their business. But I, I really started from nothing. What was the most difficult part for you starting from nothing? What, what was the most difficult aspect of the firm? I mean, at that point, you're not just a lawyer, right? Like you're a business owner and you're wearing all the hats in the business when you're doing, when you're starting up like that, right? With zero customers, zero revenue, zero relationships in that space. I mean, you were literally wearing every single hat. What do you think was the most difficult one? Well, just as you said, zero customers, <laughs> zero revenue, zero relationships. It's really all of that. I mean, it's just that it's paying the bills. It's, it's, yeah, um, yeah. If you don't know where the clients are going to come from, you don't know where the revenue are, is going to come from either. And, so do, you remember, do you remember what some of the first things that you did to get clients? Well, yeah. I mean, one of the first things that I did is with a friend, I started a magazine for inventors. Basically, I was doing content marketing in the 90s in print form. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I started a magazine that was for inventors and explained how the process worked and had interesting feature articles about other inventors and other information that someone with an idea needed to know about how to protect their idea. And I advertised it. I advertised my law firm in the magazine. So that was my first lead gen system. Hmm. And then I got contacted by the Learning Annex about doing a class, a class about inventions and about pursuing an invention. So that also led to work as I would do a class and I'd explain to people how things work. And by the end of the three hours, I would inevitably have a few clients, people who, who jibed with me and my personality and who said, okay, I'd love for you to help me with this. And so that worked for a number of years as well as lead generation. What part of all of that process was like the first thing that you were eager to get off of your plate? Like, you know what I mean? So, so when you're first starting, like we kind of talked about, you're doing everything, right? You're fulfilling, you're marketing, you're selling, you're closing, you're the accountant. Like you're literally doing everything at the very beginning when it's just you. So at what part of the process were you like, man, I can't wait till I can hire this out? Well, answering the phone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. And, 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 you know, part of the reality of my, my business is that I get contacted by a lot of people that potentially want to protect an idea but they're not necessarily willing to put their money where the mouth is. So mm. you have to talk to a lot of people in order to get to the few that are actually really ready to go. Yeah, right. So, I mean, I spent an awful lot of time in the early years just talking to people. And that was, we had one conversation, which they learned a lot, but they didn't necessarily become a customer. Yeah, right. Um, and so I'd say that, that the biggest innovation was to get off of the phone and have it so that for someone to work with me, they, they needed to pay for an initial service. And then my first conversation would be with paying customers. Mm, got and it. That was a critical innovation that's really been necessary to scale. Building the business over the last you know, couple decades now, what do you think have been any sort of breakthroughs that you've had that, that, you'd, that you'd be able to share? Any sort of like time in your business where you noticed a, a period of, you know, more exponential growth rather than incremental growth? Or was there any period like that? Or was it, you know, fairly steady over the last couple decades? Oh, it's been all over the place over the last few decades. I've been through so many different iterations of my business, including different types of business models, so, yeah, I mean, I would say there have been um, aha moments all along. 
And usually those were following some period of like, why can't we figure out what will work best here? Hmm. I mean, it's like any business. It's like, it's just like repetitive cycles of like, like, oh no, oh no, oh no. <laughs> Hell yeah. Oh no. Oh no. You know? <laughs> yeah. I, I've, I've no idea what you're talking about, Rich. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I figured it was just me. You know? <laughs> I'm the only one. Right. And that's yeah. the other, I think that's the other thing that's endemic to entrepreneurship is we feel alone in it. Like we don't yeah, totally. think anyone could possibly relate or feel or has feel felt what we feel. Was there any point along your journey where you on purpose went to go try to find more people that were potentially feeling what you felt? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm rather, I'm rather social with entrepreneurs. I'm, I'm yeah. rather involved. I'm, I'm in different mastermind groups, uh, war room and mm. uh, Joe Polish's genius network. I go to a lot of events. I get asked to speak at a lot of other events. So I am rather social with yeah. entrepreneurs. And, uh, but that's probably been the last four or five years. Got there have been long periods where I, I didn't really interface with, with other entrepreneurs. Hmm. Was that on purpose or was that just because you didn't, didn't really understand how powerful it was yet? Yeah, I, I guess that's really it. Is I, I didn't really understand that it was kind of like an extension of, of that, that mindset of, yeah, there's no one else who really knows how I feel. There's no one that could really help. It's all on me, right? Yeah, right, right. So let's talk about that for a second because this is Build Your Network. You talk a lot about relationships and networking and those types of things. Before we kind of go down that path, this is the question that I ask everybody that comes on the show. Who you know or what you know, Rich? Which of those two is more important and why? Um, it's who you know, 100%. Hmm. I mean, I, I think relationships are the foundation of accomplishment. I mean, really everything is built on relationships. I can't say I've always known that, but I've known that for a very long time. But for some reason, I didn't think that that carried over to um, getting to know other entrepreneurs. And I think maybe part of it is that I built up a bit of a shield in that, you know, yeah. ultimately I've been, been working to help entrepreneurs for 26 years. And so that's who my clients have been. But I haven't socialized with my clients. And so therefore, I kind of kept that to be a little bit separate. I mean, and I was helping them. I wasn't really, they weren't helping me. So yeah. I, I never really thought of it that way. But through it all, I mean, I've always believed that it's all about people. It's all about relationships. Again, I just didn't imagine that cultivating my relationships with like-minded entrepreneurs would actually help my business. Yeah, sure. And spending time on purpose and money on purpose to be able to do that on a little bit higher of a level, right? Yeah, exactly. How important have masterminds been in, in terms of your relationship building over the last few years? It's been awesome. I mean, like it's expanded my network tremendously. I mean, I've got twice as many Facebook friends now. <laughs> yeah, but, but, but seriously, I mean, it's like there are just countless circles of people that I am involved in that I wouldn't if I hadn't been involved in those groups. And, and so, and right now there's a pretty big niche that I'm involved in um, professionally, which is e-commerce. Hmm. I do a lot of patents in the e-commerce space. Gotcha. And that comes from masterminding because yeah. I was going to War Room, which I've, if maybe you, um, some of your listeners don't know, is, a, is one of the preeminent masterminds for internet marketers um, yeah. in the world. So going to that group, and there was someone in there who had his own mastermind of Amazon sellers, of uh, e-commerce people. Yeah. And he invited me to speak about patents to his group. 
And when I got there, it was a group of 25 people I spoke to and I left with four clients and I said, wow. oh, e-commerce seems like a good place to be. <laughs> so, um, and I've been heavily focused in that area. Now, many of my relationships are people in the Amazon selling ecosphere. I don't know if that's the word yeah. I'm looking for, but basically in that group. And it stemmed from that first mastermind that I took the leap into. So the entry point sometimes can be masterminds. It can be at an event. It could be a number of different places. After that entry point though, Rich, how do you specifically work on your relationships that you're building with people? What are some practical tips, some advice that, that you could give to the listeners? Ooh, practical tips. Well, I am bad at systems for one. Okay. Um, my advice won't be in the nature of systems or like, you know, make sure you send something on Thanksgiving or, uh, <laughs> you know, like, like those, put them in your calendar and put their wife's birthday, you know, like don't, sure. yeah, none of that. Here's some tips that I, um, I picked up from, I was involved in leadership consulting for a while. That's another tangent. Basically is people like people who are like them and people like people that like them. Hmm. So if you meet someone, put your attention on them. Listen, ask questions, get into their world, get to know the ways in which you're alike, get to find something about them that you could like. You could like anyone if you find the thing that you like. You could, you know, talking to someone, and a lot of times we build up judgments about people and even someone who you've been kind of judgmental about you could find something that you could like and appreciate about them. You could appreciate the way in which they make their weekends all about their kids. Hmm. Or you could appreciate the, how passionate they are about auto racing, something. Yeah, uh, right. you know, like, so when you talk to people, when you're networking with people, listen, ask questions, get into their world. Make the conversation about them as opposed to switching around to be about yourself. Yeah, I love that. And one of the things that I would add in there too is the is the commonality thing there. Like kind of what you were mentioning is cert, like making it about them and appreciating what they have going on, but then looking for common ground where you guys can connect and uh, potentially, you know, further the conversation due to a mutual interest in a certain topic or field or something like that. Um, but yeah, yeah. Su super good advice. And, and that's why I love asking that question, Rich, because sometimes sometimes it is some people give those like systematic answers, you know, like, you know, text your, yeah. text them on their birthday and stuff like that. And all, all, all that stuff is good too. But uh, that's why I like asking the question because it shows that uh, there's a lot of well-connected people who just don't do it all the same way. And there's plenty of ways, you know, to make this happen, but it does need to be something on purpose. And you do need to make sure that you're trying to master some of these, some of these skill sets. So Rich, I brought you on the show because I wanted to ask you a few questions about trademarking and, and patents and things like that. So talk to me about the difference between the two. And, um, and then for most early stage startups or for most companies, which one they would probably benefit from the most. Okay, great. So the thing that separates patents from trademarks is the subject matter, the thing that you're protecting. And this is where a lot of people get confused. People say, hey, that's a really cool logo. You should get a patent on that. You know, like that's a, that's a great idea for a product. You should copyright that. And that just reflects a mismatch between the type of subject matter or the type of thing and the type of protection. So easy way to remember it, is that if you're talking about products, if you're talking about the product idea, the product structure, the thing that makes the product work, then you're talking about a patent. So products, patents, both begin with a P. Mm -hmm. If you're talking about content, content like the words in your, on your sales page 
or the words in a product listing or the images on your website. Content, copyright, okay? Got it. Um, the last one doesn't fit as well in terms of like um, letter to letter corresponding. But uh, when, you, when you're talking about branding, then it's a trademark. So if it's the name of the product, if it's the logo that you are looking to protect, if it's a slogan that consumers use to recognize your company, then that branding is protected with a trademark. Hmm. So content, copyright, products, patent, and um, branding is trademarks. Where are we in terms of expenses when it comes to each of these? I don't know, it's probably going to vary quite a bit, but I assume that from what I understand, trademarks are a lot less expensive than patents and sometimes can prevent someone from having to get a patent, different things like that. Yeah, I mean, if you're asking how much it costs, my question is how much you got? (laughs) (laughs) Fair question. Yeah. (laughs) So um, patents are the most expensive. They're the most involved in terms of like what needs to be done to get a patent, what needs to be done by the attorney to get you a patent. There's a lot of drawings and explanation that needs to be done to apply for a patent. Hmm. Trademarks are relatively inexpensive. Spend maybe a couple thousand dollars on a trademark. Copyrights, really inexpensive. In general, copyright you could do yourself and the filing fee is like um, 50 bucks. Trademarks are kind of in the middle in that some people can successfully get a trademark on their own, but it's rather nuanced where there are a lot of things that come from experience that will steer how you get through the process and will steer whether you'll be successful in getting the trademark or whether you should change your branding now, for example, rather than spend the whole lot on marketing a brand that you won't be able to protect and might conflict with someone else's trademark. Hmm. So trademarks, relatively inexpensive and certainly more expensive if you do them in the beginning than if you try to fix it later when someone else beats you to it. Like at what point along the journey should you look into these types of things? Like, you know what I mean? Because if you have an idea and then at some point it's too early and you're just wasting money, right? But then at some point a lot later on down the road, you might be too late and you might have to overcorrect and do a rebrand because somebody else, because you're there's trademark infringement on somebody else's trademark. Like where, what point along the journey should you start looking into these types of things? Yeah. Um, well, I mean, here's the thing. I'd say well, at as early a stage as you know that you're about to put a good amount of yourself or your money into something. So, I mean, you're just talking about starting a business. You're talking about a potential brand name. Maybe it's too early. But when you know that you're about to sign a lease and uh, you know, you're about to order a big chunk of inventory um, that's branded with a certain name, that's a good time that you want to look at trademarking. It's like anything else in business. It's like what you invest should be proportionate to what the upside is or what the potential loss is. If there's nothing really at stake yet, then it's probably too early. But if there's about to be something at stake, then that would be a good time to apply for a trademark. And my advice about trademarking is is really simplistic and universal, which is just do a trademark. Always protect your branding. And it's, it's just really cut and dry. Is like for a couple thousand bucks, it always pays to do a trademark. And I say it that way because it contrasts with my advice about patents, which is it doesn't always make sense to do a patent. Mm-hmm. I mean, most of my business is patents, but um, it's still, I, I want to make sure that entrepreneurs don't waste their money on a patent when it's not called for. Now, when it comes to patents, you're expecting, you should expect to spend quite a bit more. So you want to make sure that it's the right opportunity. So this is the thing. 
is there are two schools of thought about patents. You'll hear people say, patents are so important. You need to do a patent. You'd be crazy if you don't do a patent on your product, right? Mm -hmm. And then there are other people that say like, don't bother with patents. Patents are a waste of time. Somebody changes it by like 10% and they get around your patent. So don't waste your money on a patent. And I'm sure you've heard both of those, right? Yep. And the truth is that both of those statements are true in different circumstances and for different situations. Sometimes a patent is strong and it protects an overall concept. And then it really is necessary because if you get that patent, you can stop the competition from doing anything like what you're doing. And if you're the first person to have a new concept for a product, you could potentially get a patent that's that broad that it would prevent anyone from coming even close. But most of the time, you're not the first person with the concept. Hmm. You might feel that you are, but if you did some digging, you would discover that there were actually some other people that had similar concepts. They might have half-heartedly tried to get their product out there. They weren't successful. But if we dig into the patent record, we see, you know, you didn't have the first heated shovel. There were a lot of other people that had that idea. So then, you know, maybe you're able to get a patent, but what you end up getting a patent on is the heated shovel that has a certain type of connector that allows you to use it with a certain type of power cord or a control unit that hmm. automatically shuts down after 10 minutes and blah, blah, blah. And then yeah. your patent gets lost in the details, right? But that's because you weren't the first with the concept. The only thing that was available were the details. So then you end up getting that patent and you put your heated shovel in the market and then all of a sudden you see 10 other heated shovels. And you're like, people stole my idea. I can't believe it. And you go to your patent attorney and the patent attorney says, well, yeah, but they're not infringing. Yeah, right. And that's where the myth comes from. Like, well, they just changed 10% and they get around my patent. That's because you didn't have something that you should have been patenting to begin with. You patented the details because the, the overall concept was no longer available. It wasn't new. Right, right. So basically, moral of the story is talk to Rich <laughs> if you have questions I'll about I'll give you patents. the real deal. But that's what you want to do is you want to look into it. And what you really want to figure out is not just can you get a patent? Because that's what every patent attorney tells you is like, yeah, we did the research and you can get a patent. The question you need to ask is, well, what about it can we patent? Yeah. Because um, you want to figure out if, if you're able to patent some combination of elements like a, a heating coil inside of a shovel, let's say, for example, or whether it's like a combination of 10 things where it's the heating coil and the shovel with a built-in timer and blah, blah, blah. And then someone would need to do all 10 of those things to infringe. Hmm. And that's not worthwhile. I still haven't answered your question though, which was when, right? So here's, here's the thing. And this is the thing that, that hardly anyone knows about, but it could be the biggest killer. And that is that if you haven't applied for a patent yet and you put the product on the market, you make it public, you immediately lose the rights in most of the world. And in the US, there's still a grace period. So you, you get one year. If a year goes by and you haven't applied for a patent, then it's too late. And people just don't know that. Who the hell knows that? I mean, wow, how would crazy. you know I that? I didn't know that. So, so can you say that, um, so, say that one more time, Rich? One more time. Okay. Let me paint it as a scenario and then, you'll, okay. and then it'll be clear. Well, what happens time and time again is that entrepreneurs, 
make a very good entrepreneurial decision, which is like, we're starting out, our resources are scarce, patents are expensive, like let's put it off to later, right? Yeah. And then if things go well, then we should get a patent because uh, you know it's clear that the product's doing well, we want to protect it. Mm-hmm. Makes perfect sense, totally logical. You know, good entrepreneurs preserve their resources in the beginning, but the problem is, is that then a couple of years go by and they come to me and they say, I've got this product selling really well. I just need to protect it because people are going to start knocking me off. And I ask them the question that I'm afraid to know the answer of, which is, when did you start selling it? And they tell me, uh, it's been two years and, and I just have to give them the unfortunate news that it's too late. If a year has gone by since you made the idea public, it's too late to apply for a patent. Wow, that's crazy. Yeah. So you better figure it out soon. So exactly. What you want to do is make the decision at an early stage, preferably before you launch the product, whether you think you want to patent it or not. Make that choice early. Do the digging early. Do some research and find out, could you get a broad patent on this? Is it a whole new concept or or are you just a, a me too with this product? And then you could decide, am I going to do the patent or not? And if you don't do the patent, then you don't look back. You go ahead, you put the product out there, you put your attention and your energy into marketing and getting the product out there as, as well and as fast and as powerfully as you can. And you don't look back uh, because a lot of times what people do is they, they get an opportunity and they know they're not protected. So someone says, hey, I could have you on a TV show with your product. Like, well, I'm not sure if it's a good idea because I'm not protected. Or we can get you into, into Target. It's like, yeah, I'm kind of trying to keep it small right now because I'm not protected yet, right? But make the decision. And if you decided that you're not going to do a patent, then the important thing there is to not look back, is to boldly put it out to the world and to not kind of half step forward and do it so cautiously because you're afraid someone's going to rip you off. Right. They might, but if you made that decision, go full ahead, consistent with that decision. Well, man, Rich, this has been such an amazing conversation. So many things that we've covered in such a short period of time. So thank you so much for coming on the show. If somebody is listening to this and they're like, man, I got, I just, I, you know, my wheels are spinning here. I, I got to ask a question or two. What's the best way that they could reach out and connect with you? Well, first thing I would say, go to my website. There's a lot of great resources to learn the, the process, like free resources, free videos. So go to goldsteinpatentlaw.com. And that gives you an opportunity to get in contact with my team. You could also email them directly at welcome at goldsteinpc.com. And, uh, you know, that way we could explore with you whether it's a match to work together. So goldsteinpatentlaw.com. If you've got any questions regarding trademarks or copyrights or patents or any of those types of things, reach out to Rich's office and get some help. This is some big stuff. This is the stuff that, this is the stuff that takes the wind out of your sails as an entrepreneur. If you are, uh, have a bunch of momentum and things are going really well and then some lawsuit letter comes in the mail and all of a sudden you realize that everything you've been working for and struggling for is, um, is going away. And that could be a really, really difficult, a really difficult day really difficult trip to the mailbox. So have a conversation with Rich and his team. Make sure to prevent those types of things from happening. Rich, thank you so much for coming on the show today, man. Had a blast chatting with you. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks so much. Well, that's it for today's show. 
If you want more advanced networking strategies as well as an instant network upgrade, then consider partnering with my BYN Inner Circle Mastermind. There are already dozens of high quality entrepreneurs in the group. There's dozens of video lessons on networking. There's monthly calls, there's accountability crews and more, all for the low investment of just 99 bucks a month. So head over to byninnercircle.com to jump in. That's byninnercircle.com. Thanks so much for joining us on today's show. We'll see you next time. Remember to leave every relationship better than you found it. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.